0: Greetings everyone, this is V, aka Vernon English, once again, queuing you in on Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds, the series, and right now, we are in the second book, The Seeds of the Time Before Time. Now, you must understand, and I love that we are in this part of the series, because the second book was one of my favorite pieces to work on, symphonically, everything. The book in itself had a different rhythm than the first book because obviously I was excited that I had finished the first book already. But the second book had a different essence to it. It sounded different and it felt different just from me understanding what it was that I wanted to say. And the fun part about it was that I was being inspired by different stories all around me, if it was mythology, it was cartoons, if it was just a conversation, everything fed underneath that umbrella of inspiration. And so it sounds very soft or dainty-like with talking about a story about a mermaid, but I thought it was very mystical and something um, magical just to talk about something everyone thinks of in the category of The Little Mermaid or something like this. And Basically, I saw A Song of the Sea, and it's an interesting, interesting movie, and if you ever get the opportunity to sit down with someone who enjoys uh, great animation and styles, you should check it out because it basically delves into everything I just mentioned, the mythology of something, the the lore of it, and basically how others view certain things around the world, and it's quite a stark raving difference to us uh, we put in a different category or different people have their own interpretations and it's literally a fairy tale that is based off of some sense of real life and so for me I was like yo I, I want to make this one of those like wild journeys and so while someone else is having a journey such as the Green Kings and the little litigator it could be something else. It could be like a parallel story, but a whole lot lighthearted. And this basically gives a Q in on, or some insight as to how both of these stories will inevitably pan out or just meander through this entire series. Now, Hearing Colors, hearing colors to Kill Sounds is a never ending story, okay, by trade. And I always wanted that to be a juxtaposition that someone knew that they could always come back to the series, kind of like a comic book. The way these stories and series never end, and then writers from different walks of life can add to them. And for me, this is poetry, it's writing, and it's a mixture of both. So from there, you get a different frame of reference And once again, I'm just excited that people, before I go into it, uh, like this content. And if you like it, hit the subscribe button. And thank you to the new listeners and the new listeners that will be uh, here later. And I appreciate you guys for checking out the material. Okay, back, back. Okay, so yeah. Basically, the characters and the inspiration was from, like I was saying, Saga and the Sea. And not to ruin any of the story that the movie has, I just suggest that you go and check it out because it's really, 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 really. I don't even have to overemphasize. It reminded me of some series that I would see online or even a cartoon from a different part of the world. And literally, that's what it is, but not an anime-like but the animation, and it inspired me to write my own. And that's inevitably what we're seeing. If you had, like I was mentioning, The Little Litigator and The Green King storyline, and they're going to see the, the ills of society and the worst things that man has done, and to report back to this council meeting as to what they should do and go about and handling all of the Manfreuds and the Fimulas on the surface world, which basically you can attribute to men and women. But one also understands that it is not so simple as to see something and have this sense of judgment about it. And so inevitably, if you could believe it, this story, The Gateways, and Gateways Part 2 is what this installment is, is this introduction but this mermaid, her her memory has been shot and she doesn't know why and all of what she's discovering is new for the first time so swimming and breathing water and discovering her own qualities and her attributes such as abilities to, to understand speech without saying anything or even just floating through the water and understanding the colors It's all a part of her makeup and and who she is, but I never really say as to why she forgot her memories in the first place, or if there's anyone else who remembers who she is specifically, and I wanted that to be one of those Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock hour type of open-ended scenarios and those are great, by the way who by in comparison I pale but I just wanted to give homage to these great stories who I saw as one-shots and basically you could say a one-shot was something that is just a story and that it ends with no con- continuity but with this one I wanted a mixture so I wanted to continue it quite slightly and then have it go on from there and from the length of the story, I wanted to have her and basically as in no length at all, and I had the opportunity of expanding it, I've spent a large portion of the time for the second book, including this storyline in it. I spent a large portion of the this storyline and just to reiterate of including this said Murphy M-E-R-F-R-U-I-D storyline. And I wanted it to span the entirety of the second book. The same that The Little Litigator and The Two Green Kings had for the first book. And it was a point of explaining it that took some time and it was of a challenge. Because I wanted to have it build up. But I didn't want it to just leave... Or have something that was flat and that someone would easily forget it. I wanted them to be asking questions the entire time as to why she's in the story, what this has to do with anything, and even if they ignored it, it would still be something purveying in the back of their mind as to why I included it in the story in the first place. I was thoroughly impressed by the writing style that I used and basically it was to personify her befuddlement of discovering that her memories were gone and then to discover what it was that she was looking after and it basically came to her instead of anything else in the story all of what she inevitably was asking for had a way of just appearing and so in the second part or even in the first I'll explain from the first where she basically wakes up, discovers that she's flowing in a giant ocean, and then discovers these things, this coral and old creatures, and communicates with them, and then discovers this door. And then from the door, she basically opens it, or it opens to her. And she discovers that all of what she thought she was alone, she was surrounded by all these other different beings. And which is the cool part about it, was that she realized that one of them was the highness or a queen until that's where the conversation begins on the second and so the murphy astounded at the speech of the doorway swam closer besides loss of memory this would have to be the answer to her problems albeit she knew not what but maybe she was chosen her scales shimmering in the third moonlight's reflection and so this is one of those instances too where I give a time stamp of exactly what part of the day by utilizing the sun and the moon, and then from there I have a different reference. And then it says, um, "A princess, you say? How do you know of my lineage?" The door said nothing. Now that she was near, she could see more picturesque emblems and carvings. Who knows of me? She thought, and what is a degree away from frozen? The golden piece of the door moves. once she heard this, or had this in her mind. She looked curiously, following her motives to solve the mystery, perhaps squelch her wanderings. A sapphire was revealed in the center of the door, almost the size of her Dorful fan's harbors. An image shot from the center to the middle of the room, another murphroid atop of a seahorse. Father? And so, basically... What's happening is something science fiction could only dream of, and not just with computer graphics uh, that are implemented into it. she basically has this conversation with the door that has opened before her. And so she got this vision of all these other different mermaids that were there, and they like shimmered like a mirage in the water and in the light. And that's why she called out to her mother, which was the highness, because she heard a conversation that was being had. And so then, she basically stands there, or rather floats there, at the beginning, and this door is speaking with her, and, and she's questioning, she's like, how do you know that she's a princess, and, and how would you even think of this? Like, where are these memories coming from? She doesn't even have her memories. And so basically following this mystery, uh, she discovers an image or a menorah that is shot into the middle of this room inside of the door. And it's a cool thing because I wanted it to be sort of like those images that were shot off of the beginning of the story or beginning of this book with the floating island. And those were just beams of light that were shot at their hands and then dematerialized them, very Star Trek-like. But in this instance, it was something that was, if not just a magical thing of how it could flicker in a place devoid, usually of light, um, under the no, under the water. Now I'm not even scientifically inclined. Fair warning that that's the heads up because I don't even know what part of the sea level that is. Uh, there's a certain part where water has an ability to diffract the light that it comes through it and so it's not just so much light just going straight down it has a way of just like becoming a wave into the point that the wave uh, reaches a point that it doesn't go down any further or is reflected back up And, and to a certain point to even have light in an iridescent And no, I do not know any of these specifics. You may even have to fact check me, but this was just something in my mind, in my imagination where I had where this light shot from her eyes and then it went into the entire room almost if you've been watching like Tron or something like this. And it gave a exoskeleton type of mentality of guiding her where she was going and what she saw and the seahorse like figure appeared. And no, once again, this is not like the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid is a wonderful, wonderful story. But my story is totally different. Little the Little Mermaid story. Let me tell you about that at the end. And basically so basically from that part of the story I wanted it to be once again something that reminded me of the comic book reading essence I always enjoyed comic books just for having that ability to always twist your arm at the end or your ear and attention to something that was completely and totally you didn't know what was coming next and even if you did know what was coming next the specifics of how it did or whatever the case may be the writers and editors and whoever it was that was a part of the writing team always had something to have a surprise to the reader that would bring them back and that's what initially I was intending for with these one shots if somebody was just reading them then they would understand this one is not just a one shot it it keeps going this is Gateways Part 2 and then it continues into something else and then it continues into something else And then you even see the the entirety of it spanning through the whole second book. And so to comment on the Little Mermaid series and how tragic that story was, I understand mythology and the aspect of respecting it. it. That basically means that if you can get on Google and or any other search engine and look up the whole mythology and what it means and how long it existed, then... That's basically where you're at where I'm at. (laughs) Anything else is a bit more complicated and or has some ethnic um, connection to someone. And what I mean by that is that if someone is talking about mythology and or something else, then uh, they've known of it from a family member or, or they've seen someone practice this said thing. Now, for understanding a lot of other different stuff, I I look to fairy tales or these other old tales that have existed long before I have. And I know that, you know, basically a lot of Disney stories are based off of these type of mentalities. But I never wanted to to get into the whole Red Riding Hood tragic aspect of it. And a lot of those real stories have, and I, I have yet to read those stories, and those are always on my list of things to do as to read uh, how a story could be twisted into a kid's story, or even if it was a kid's story and still had the tragic elements, how to even incorporate the development of a character. And if I'm not mistaken, there's certain different aspects that real life, even on a non-fiction aspect, have. If you look into like Pocahontas or something like that. And I do, if not recount, having seen like two Pocahontas movies. One being as in When She Left, and then two and When She Went to um, the Modern World or something like this. And her marrying the guy, uh, I'm trying to remember all of it, but... Yeah, the, the story or the real account of the Little Mermaid is similar, but I believe a bit more tragic in the aspect of the gentleman that she was in love with had left her or something. It was something crazy like that at the end, and then she had, like, passed away or something, and they I mean, even after they had overcome all these different things, and... Even if you look into like the Red Riding Hood and all those other crazy fairy tale stories, uh, I forgot the name of the gentleman who uh, wrote those. But he basically was like giving these tragic accounts and there's some pretty messed up things that happened. I didn't think Little Red Riding Hood got eaten or something like It's crazy. But it's a crazy aspect of looking at it. And I wanted my stories to have the mystery element. Even though you have a lot of tragic things happening, it is by proxy and it's by certain things that a character will overcome that and then continue on because it's not just the ending. And you'll see that in a character who is disembodied from their body later on in the story when I explain and Actually, in the first story, first book, where somebody has passed away from Oleander's destroying the countryside type thing and in the fallout that person perished and so then they they go into a a Requiem for a Dream-esque purgatory type of scenario and then realizing on the sixth sense type of mentality where they are, are they asking or are they telling someone if they have passed away? And so then they go through this self-discovery phase, and that's pretty much the extent of how or what tragic heart, and the story that I will include for now. Now, there are other things that I'm going to pepper in, but those are surprises, and I won't tell just yet. But it's, it's a really cool thing because a lot of people are dealing with so much in life, and that is this flow that they had, their jobs, their traveling, their interactions with others, and those are very real-world problems. And I wanted to include non-real-world problems that were in the same category or vein of level of importance to these individuals who don't exist, just to give a juxtaposition of first-world problems to science fiction problems and how these science fiction characters are dealing with them. And this is the aspect of it. So I'm going to overhaul these next few installments. And the more you guys respond, the faster I upload. So just let me know. No, I'm joking. Um, Yes, hit the subscribe button. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Really, really, I am truly. And the more you respond and the faster I upload, And I'm just thankful for you guys listening. Thank you for the new listeners. And I have more for you. And this is Gateways Part 2. And be looking to the next one for Lessons of the Moon. This is V, a.k.a. Vernon English. Peace, peace.